You're listening to The Mom Inspired Show, episode 150 with Deb Meyer. Welcome to The Mom Inspired Show. I'm your host, Amber Sandberg, and this show is created to inspire, encourage, and add a little extra fun to your day. Hey, you guys. I'm super excited to have Deb Meyer on the show today. She is going to talk to us about finance. And I know that can be sometimes boring, but I want to make it exciting for you guys because as moms, we all know we're just super busy and we're kind of just dealing with things that are right in front of us. But I want to be able to have little nuggets of information that, you know, come into your mind and make you think like, yes, am I doing what I need to be doing or what I want to be doing with my finances? And so that's why I've been having more moms come on talking about finances from retirement funds to emergency funds and uh, college educations and stuff like that. So I hope that you guys find this show encouraging and, um, you know, a little less overwhelming um, when it comes to all of this and that you're able to take one step further in this whole area of finance. And um, she just breaks it down and makes it easy. And I think it helps to just hear someone else, especially as a mom, talk about all of this so that we don't have to sit in front of a computer or sit down with a book and try to become the expert in all of this. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Hey, you guys. So if you were considering the lean program, I just wanted to let you know that this is the last week that you can get the discount code. If you've been sitting on the fence and you want to use that discount to go ahead and do that. But if you decide to still do this and it's after September 1st, you can still use my link. It will help the show. So I greatly appreciate if you use the Mom Inspired Show link. And um, again, you can always reach out to me no matter what. And I'm here to support you on this journey. Hey, you guys, before we jump in the show, I want to give you guys an update on my whole weight loss journey. If you've been listening to the shows for the past month or two, I had uh, an update um, with using Lean with Amanda Nybert. And I'm trying to do that every month to two months because not everybody listens to every episode. And um, I'm going to actually do several episodes on my whole weight loss journey, I think in the fall. But until then, I'm just trying to use the intro to just kind of give people some updates and stuff like that, because I know when I was trying to figure out what was the best thing that I needed to do for myself, I wanted to hear what other people were doing if they were successful at it. And so if this is you, I want you just to know kind of my journey. And if you guys don't need to lose weight, if you're someone who's like, I don't I don't need this and whatever, kudos to you. But think about somebody that you might know that who's struggling And maybe they can't get that weight off from having their second, third, fourth kid, whatever it is, and they just don't feel like themselves. So please think about that when you're hearing me talk, if you don't need to lose weight and all that kind of stuff, because I know that's not everyone's struggle. Um, So I kind of just want to do a little bit of an update. People have been coming up to me because they are starting to notice that I'm smaller and all that kind of stuff and just asking where it started. And um, honestly, it all started with Amanda Nybert's lean program. And so I did an episode with her. I did a series. It started with episode 112. Make sure to go listen to the series because she goes through everything in detail on how the program works, why it works and all that stuff. She does a great job of doing that more than I could even tell you right now in this short amount of time. What's even better is Amanda gives Mom Inspired Show listeners an exclusive discount of $20 off where you cannot find anywhere. So you can only find it here. And if you have already done the program and you want to do it again, 
there is a repeat client discount of $10 off. So make sure to use those. And so those discounts, what they are is mominspiredshow.com forward slash lean, L-E-A-N, 2020. And so make sure to use that. But you can go to episode 112. All the stuff is in the show notes if you forget what I just said. And you can find the discount links there. But what I wanted to tell you guys, so I had two friends come to me talking to me about what I've been up to. And they did one of Amanda's sessions. She generally does two a month for seven weeks. It's an online program. And they just finished and one of them almost lost 10 pounds and another lost, I think, eight pounds. So just to give you an idea of what different women are losing and um, and they felt great. And one of my friends, she just absolutely loved it. And she was really struggling trying to get the weight off. And she was doing burn. I do burn. It's a boot camp, And she was just working her butt off and she couldn't get the weight down. And I was like, hey, you should probably try lean and see if that helps. Because a lot of people think that they can work out and not change their eating and lose weight, which is completely false, especially the older you get. You really have to like hone in your food and working out is great, but sometimes working out makes you hungry and then you got to really like wrap your mind around that whole thing. So I was so excited to see that she finally lost weight and had success with that using lean. So I wanted to just share that with you guys. And if you guys are kind of like, I know what I really need to do and blah, 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 and you just don't do it. Well, this is a great accountability. Like you have to post like your macros and all that stuff every day on, um, on the app and stuff like that, that she provides you. And if this is all new to you and you're kind of like, I have no idea, this is amazing because it gives you just a total new way of thinking about things, gives you new tools. And then when you're done, you can kind of make it your own or you can do a repeat session and stuff like that. So I just wanted to let you guys know about this program because I really like it. And it started off my whole journey back in January of where I am today. And so I just wanted to share that with you. I didn't want to hold it to myself. I wanted you guys to know what I've been up to. And if you have friends, make sure to share this episode with them and make sure to have them check out episode 112 and they can hear everything that she has to say. And then all the links will be in the show notes. So if you guys are hesitant and you feel like you want to ask me a question, do not feel like scared to reach out to me. Okay. I'm a normal person. If you want to ask me some questions about the program, you can find me on Facebook at Amber Sandberg, Instagram, I'm Amber Sandberg, or if you're on my email list, you can email me. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. I would love to help you. I feel so much better now. I feel more like myself. It just feels so good. It's just like, oh my gosh, I'm like finally getting back to the Amber that I used to know. And I know there's moms out there listening to this feeling the same exact way. So I am speaking to you. So anyways, I just wanted to share that with you. And I can't wait to do a few episodes in the fall and you'll get a lot more detail and stuff like that. But I just wanted to give you guys some info until that point, just so that it can help you out if you need it. All right, let's go to the show. Deb, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Amber. I'm really excited to be here. So I like to ask all my guests um, a travel question because I'm a travel agent. And the question is, what is your favorite vacation spot and why? And this can be with or without kids. That is a tough one. Uh, <laughs> well, I actually, I will say one with my kids and it wasn't exactly just like a short vacation, but uh, last year, my family and I had the opportunity to go overseas for three months. So we lived in Spain and traveled around for three months and it That's was awesome. amazing. Um, it was so much fun. We 
started off in Barcelona and then went to Valencia, Madrid, and ended in Sevilla and just had the time. It, it was time of our lives. It was, it was great. What's really so, crazy is that the person that is going to, the episode that's going to air before yours, um, her name's Anne Kaplan. She lives in Spain part-time. And so it's really, really? crazy that you guys are back-to-back <laughs> saying that you lived yes, in Spain. I mean, that is, yeah, that's really crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's not a normal response um, that I normally have, but that is really cool. So what would you say was your favorite area in Spain? I would have to go with Barcelona or Valencia. I love the ocean. Me too. I love the beach views. Um, yeah, I, they're both gorgeous cities. Valencia is obviously a little bit smaller than Barcelona and doesn't quite have the same level of history as like Sagrada Familia Church or, you know, just all the other amazing yeah. works of Gaudi. But uh, they're both really cool. And I enjoyed them. I mean, Barcelona was more crowded. You could yeah. tell it was a very big city. Mm-hmm. Uh, Valencia is still big, but it just didn't feel quite as big. It was more of a beach town. Vibe, I like that. So. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. What made you uh, go over there for three months? Uh, <laughs> it was really me driving that train. I uh, I studied abroad in Spain oh. during my oh, sophomore cool. year of college and yeah. loved it then. Well, I had even like back in high school, I uh, started really enjoying Spanish as a, as a class. And I just said, hey, I want to take part in whatever kind of exchange programs they have. So I had a student come and live with us for two months, or I'm sorry, not two months, two weeks here in the U.S. And then I went and spent some time with her family there. That was my That's junior cool. year of high school. And yeah, so a lot of it was just, I wanted to get back and I did that in college. And then it had been 18 years <laughs> since I had been there. <laughs> I finally convinced my husband. I'm like, I've been wanting to go back for so long. Can we just make this happen as a family? And I love it. At the time, my husband's job, he didn't really love it. And he was thinking about a career change. So we just took the opportunity. I ran my businesses from over there. Yeah. And uh, he, yeah, he just was a stay-at-home dad for a, a little while. So that is really well. cool. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, I always think about that, you know, and but when you have jobs that are really, you have to be in a certain area that obviously makes that a lot harder to do. So that's where, yeah. you know, it's awesome to have jobs that are flexible like that, that you can really just go anywhere. And so um, that is really neat. Um, yeah, I'm going to have actually, I've had someone on my show before and then they did a home exchange and they went to Spain. This is a totally different person and they just did that this summer. And so I want to have her come on to talk about home exchange, like swapping homes, which, yes. so that is kind of, you know, outside the box for me. Um, so I just want to see how that went and stuff like that. So yeah, there's a lot of Spain happening, uh, with families, it seems like, so it seems like a good option. Yeah. It's really pretty affordable from a European country yeah, standpoint. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's just still so beautiful. There's so many different parts of it, you know, depending on which part you're in, you get yeah. to see either a lot of museums if you're landlocked or you yep. can do beautiful countryside and ocean. And yeah, yeah. it's yeah. great. That sounds so. great. Well, let's get started. Um, how about you tell us a little bit more about yourself? So your name, where you're from, and how many kids you have, and then we'll kind of jump into how you got to where you are today and uh, what we're going to be talking about on the show. Sure. Uh, my name's Deb Meyer, and I am a mom of three boys, uh, ranging in age from 10 to 4, and I live in a suburb of St. Louis, Missouri. I've been here, I guess, since I started college, if I can... 2000. So, um, yeah, I've been here for a long time and I grew up 
kind of moving around a lot, but I predominantly grew up in Milwaukee and yeah, that's a little bit about me personally. Do you want me to go into some of the professional? Yeah. How about you share well? with us? Um, yeah. What, what you do for a living and, um, how you got to where you are. And then we'll jump into the questions about, um, all the fun stuff that you want to teach us today. Sure. Sounds good. The, uh, original plan I had when I went off to college was to study international business. As I mentioned, I love Spain and I was like, Oh, I love interacting with other cultures. Well, reality set in that it would be hard to get a job in international business right, right out of college. So a good mentor there suggested that I get something else. And I uh, went down the footsteps of my mom, who is an accountant, and got an accounting degree. So I started off my career in public accounting. I uh, worked for a big four international public accounting firm in their tax group and found I enjoyed the little client interaction I had, but I really wanted to work more with forward-looking information instead of just looking at the historical tax returns or Mm. stuff that had already happened. Right. So I wanted to just have more of those special moments with my clients sitting face-to-face instead of just, you know, looking at a computer screen at the, figuring out what their tax liability (laughs) was going to be for the year. So, uh, I, I don't know why that doesn't sound fun to you. (laughs) (laughs) I know exactly. Well, and at the time too, my husband also started his career in public accounting. So we're both working a lot of hours and it was just one of those things where I'm like, I need to get a little more work-life balance. And I, uh, I was very fortunate to get to this firm. It's a investment advisory and wealth management firm in in St. Louis. And I spent about seven years there working with very affluent families. So, um, have quite a bit of financial net worth. And what I found in a lot of those relationships is I loved working with those clients, but several of them were so much older and in a very different life stage for me. So when I wanted to start my own firm a couple of years ago, I decided to really focus on working with families that are in my same kind of life stage where we're accumulating wealth and we're trying to see how we can use our unique gifts and talents to, to help other people. So yeah. I started Worthy Nest back in 2016 and I uh, really loved serving families one-on-one, but ultimately I decided to go a little bit different direction than most traditional financial advisors. And they said, I want to also write a book that can help people, even if they can't work with me one-on-one or don't have the desire. So I wanted to be able to take a lot of that knowledge as both a mom and a financial planner for several years and, and parlay that into the book. And I published that um, back in June of this year. So it's called Redefining Family Wealth, a, Purpo- a Parent's Guide to Purposeful Living. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'll put that in the show notes. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted you to come on is exactly what you're saying. Um, I feel like as women, especially moms, I don't feel like we can hear it enough on finances because we're so busy, right? So our lives, you know, just are, I don't know, it's like whatever's in front of us. And so it's very easy to let this topic slip through the cracks. And so I love hearing from other moms that this is their expertise and bring it to the show so that moms can hear this from different personalities, different people, just different you know, just different women that are moms. And so, because sometimes it takes hearing a certain person for it to really set in your brain of like what they're saying, right? So sometimes you need to hear from, you know, however someone is saying it. And, you know, I think what you have to hear something seven times before it really kind of sticks. So 
That's why I like having um, moms come on to talk about this because it just, it is so hard to make the time to really dive into this stuff. And there's just so much to learn. I feel like we're in a day that we kind of have to almost know everything. I don't know. It's really crazy. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you should really know how to do your 401k and you should really know, like, should you do international or domestic? I mean, like, if you didn't go to school for that, like, I don't know. It's like, how are we supposed to know, like, how to do all the stuff that has to be required? You know, we have to know how to troubleshoot our computers and all, I mean, everything, right? And so (laughs) you're just kind of like, um, yeah. (laughs) You know. I know. It's it's overwhelming. I mean, it's, uh, it's, hard being a parent. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and, you know, when you get school, even if you go to college yeah. and you learn something really valuable in that area, it's not going to necessarily translate to all the Oh, no, other it changes. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have my master's in business, but like when you think about, I was just thinking about this with the other day with my husband that, you know, Instagram really makes you have to hit that 10,000 mark. And so they're rewarding you for hitting that 10,000 so that you can swipe up. And so pretty much what people have to do is they have to pay money to have somebody who's an expert to figure out how to get the algorithm so that you can get enough people to like it. It's so dumb, but like mm-hmm. you need you need you need it if you want people to know you exist. And so mm-hmm. uh, no one's te- no one was teaching that back when I was going to college, you know. Yeah. And so this is what it's come down to. You know what I'm saying? So right. it's really crazy that I, I don't know. It's like mind blowing. You're kind of like okay, so hopefully they're teaching all of this in college now, because clearly this is what you need to know. Um, if you want to promote your business or whatever, you have to know how to um, get on social media, promote it, market, all that kind of stuff, even if that's not even what your strength is. And so that's what I'm saying. There's just so much stuff that you have to know these days. And so with the money, it's so important, especially future thinking, that that falls through the cracks. And then you kind of look up and you realize you don't have that much time left, you know, once you're able to kind of get up from the weeds. And so that's why I want to be able to have these little nuggets of information that moms can listen to while they're working out or driving in the car or something like that, that they're not going to have to try to sit down, read something on the computer that's so complex or read a book Mm -hmm. that just, that isn't realistic these days. So that's why I wanted you to come on. And, um, there are some topics that I, um, like that you have, um, and that you like to talk about. So let's jump into, um, the interview. And first I live in Nashville, so this is a big Dave Ramsey area. And so, (laughs) um, he's all about the emergency fund and having the thousand dollars and all that kind of stuff. So I'm curious though, what is your thoughts on this? the emergency fund. And I like how you say this, can you really emergency proof your life? So what, what do you mean by that? Well, I think there's a lot of people that, especially anyone that follows Dave Ramsey, there's this idea of, okay, well, if you have your emergency fund and you pay down, pay off all your debt, you're, you're set for life. (laughs) But in reality, there's a lot of things that could happen. Yes. Like an air conditioner. That, preparing for <laughs> emergencies and like actually taking advantage of opportunities that right. might arise. And this notion of, of emergency proofing your life. Yeah. You can get insurance policies, but I mean, even if you had a $5 million insurance policy, like it, it, it life insurance I'm talking right. about, like yeah. that's not necessarily going to help prevent you from getting into a dangerous situation yeah. that you, you know, end up getting a lawsuit or something. It's sure. not, you know, like, there's never, there's never a, a point at which you can just be like, Nope, I don't have any of the responsibility. It's completely on someone else. Um, so I think 
that's one concept I just want to touch on with the emergency mm-hmm. proofing. But going back to the emergency fund, I even encourage people to to create an opportunity fund to look at things. Uh, yes, an emergency fund is necessary of a couple thousand dollars if you, you know, absolutely your car breaks or your air conditioning unit breaks and you need a fix on that, things like that. But for people that are like, hmm, I really don't love this career. I feel like it's slowly creeping and causing a depression in me. Like mm. I, I want to get some kind of change, positive change in my life. How am I actually going to make that transition? I like the idea of building towards a positive thing that can mm. make you yeah. have that financial runway so yeah. you can go and pursue those dreams. Right. I hear of a lot of people that are like, Hey, I want to go be a small business owner, but they don't necessarily have the cash savings when they start their business to actually make it, you know, Hey, I'm going to make this a full-time venture. So they might be running themselves ragged, doing a side hustle in addition to a full-time job, in addition to raising kids. And I'm just saying, if you can proactively save for this now and put that into the opportunity fund, you're at least getting a little bit of financial runway that you're not reliant on always having to have like two things going at the same exact time. Yeah. Um, And so you're building that up. So those are two tangible examples. I would say travel is another thing. A lot of people Mm -hmm. want to have extended travel. And if you're both working and I'm assuming a lot of your audience might Mm -hmm. be married, just being moms. Right. Yeah. um, For those that are married, they're going to have a hard time finding those times where both you and your spouse Mm -hmm. can potentially take off of work for two weeks or three weeks at a time. But you might have some of that flexibility if you're actively saving for it and saying, Hey, this is the only time we're going to take vacation for the whole year. Let's, let's make this a special one and and not just go, you know, for a a five hour road trip, but we're going to go overseas or experience some new culture. So those are the kinds of things I want people to be excited about and working towards and not just always having to think of it as, Oh, I have to put more money into the emergency fund. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's break, let's break this down a little bit. So I really like the, I like the option of having an opportunity fund. I like that, like that, what it brings up that feeling and you're right. It's more positive and it seems more exciting to save for. So, but we do have to think about the boring stuff and also the non-fun things. So for, for you, what would you say that people, what, what, what is a recommendation that you have for people that, um, especially if they're on one income, right? So like, do mm-hmm. you feel like they really should have six months? Like what is your thoughts or, and what do you share with your clients and stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it depends on the stability of that one income. So if you have someone who's a small business owner and they're the sole income earner, that is a really uncertain yeah. path. Right, <laughs> You're right. going to need much more in cash savings to draw on when there's down cycles in the business than someone who's in a government job that they're basically not. And I'm not saying every government employee right. is guaranteed to be employed for 20 years, but most of them are <laughs> in, in many situations, unless right. you really have a major issue or there's serious, but you know, budget cuts, you're, you're going to be having great job security for the long term. So those are the kinds of things to be thinking about. And it doesn't matter what, you know, if it's one or two incomes, think about the actual source of your income and how steady or, um, predictable that is. Uh, if, if you're salaried, that's very different than if you're paid on commission Mm -hmm. is another example. So my husband, when he made his career change last year, he went to a commission based structure. So even though he's getting potentially more 
earnings when times are good, he could be in a really bad spot if the economy takes a nosedive and and there's no placements right. to make. So yeah. those are the kinds of things we're always thinking about behind the scenes of, okay, how do we tailor our situation when, when things are good and we have an unpredictable salary? Let's store some extra away above and beyond what we would normally do, knowing that bad times are inevitably going to happen. We just don't know when. So here's my, here's my thought. So let's just use, let's use a salaried person, um, say they're on one income and so they need to save for an emergency fund. How much, how many months would you say that you feel like is a good minimum, like baseline to be like, this is what you probably should have just to kind of make sure three, three months, yeah, I would say okay. minimum three months, three yeah. months. What would you say your max is before you start like diving over into your opportunity fund? It really depends on the couple. I mean, some um, families I find are very conservative and they just mm. want to build extra cash and then yeah. others, especially on the, because uh, uh, I work with a wide variety of yeah, uh, sure. ages and my clients. So I find a lot of the clients that are closer to retirement, even mm. if they're on one income, they like to keep larger cash cushions than yes. the clients I'm working with in my thirties right, uh, right. or in their thirties. Right. So um, for, for, you know, I would assume vast majority here, we're talking young kids. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I know yep. I Younger parents. All your episodes. Yeah. So, um, I would recommend getting, a starting that opportunity fund even earlier, knowing mm. that you could dip into it, into if you had to, but you're really trying to just carve off and say, okay, what's true emergencies. Like if our, air conditioning unit stop working mm-hmm. tomorrow. Yep. How much is it really going to cost to replace that or to get that fixed? And then, um, or if our car breaks down or wh- whatever it is, what, what do we have to cover that? And then separately look at, um, what are we even planning for on the opportunity side? Like, do you have visions of making a career change or are you perfectly content in your mm. job for the long term? So yeah, uh, those are, those are the things I would weigh, but, um, I would say, you know, if you're maybe at a $10,000 level on your emergency fund, then you can maybe start allocating more to the opportunity fund, uh, just, and, and know that it's still technically available for emergencies too, but yeah, that makes sense. No emergency is going to cost 10 grand. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to ask you, because I love travel so much, obviously, um, and I am passionate about helping people travel. Um, you know, that's why one of the reasons why I like being a travel agent, but I feel like it gets hard to have all, it's like you have all these buckets, right? And you're kind of like, okay, so I got to fill my bucket of emergency. Um, and then if you do have emergency and you have an air conditioner that takes out of it, which then you have to start saving back into that. And it's like, sometimes people feel like they're never ever getting to the fun buckets. Right. So, you know, how is your, what's your thoughts with like helping people with that? Cause I feel like people struggle with that trying. It's like, there's only so much money. There's so many buckets and you're trying to fill them all. And I mean, do you have like a thought process with, you know, save so much to prioritization? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, With, with like, do you feel like you always need to go? Here's, here's the issue too, right? So I think this is a challenge when people have small kids too, right? You only are going to have so much time with small kids, right? And then they're going to grow up. So you run into Mm -hmm. this battle of you want emergency fund, but you also want to enjoy your kids at the age that they are, they're going to grow up, go to college and leave. So then you're, you're fighting this inner battle of being really responsible 
and trying to like have your 401k and your retirement, all that where it needs to be. But then you're also like, yeah, but should we be going on vacations too with our kids and all that? I'm just wondering what your thought is and how you help people figure that out. Yeah. Well, with a lot of my clients, we try to get, uh, at least the individual families I'm working with, we try to get that travel budget as part of their normal cash flow. Um, oh, so not yeah. like separately right. say, Hey, we have to get an extra five grand over in this travel bucket. Right. Yeah. And that, that makes sure that we're living within our means. So is, is the level of income you're bringing in as a household greater than what you're spending as a household? And that's net of taxes and all of that. So figuring out what that target travel budget is for your family, Mm. make that part of your bigger family budget. Like don't have a separate, okay, I need to set up this travel fund. I mean, there might be some cases where you're like, okay, we're going to Japan next year. Right. Yeah. And (laughs) And that's obviously going to cost way more than if we did everything domestic this year. Um, So yeah, that's fine. And like those one-off circumstances. So the travel to Japan isn't necessarily going to be something that's happening every year. You just have to figure out what that priority is, what your value is as a family for that particular year and allocate extra cash flow in your normal budget to that cause. So um, this year it might be giving more to a charitable organization. Next year it might be a big travel expenditure. The year after that it might be a graduation party for one of your kids, whatever those cases are, but really map out what some of those extras are and figure out how to allocate them within the overall family budget. Um, the other recommendation I would have just in terms of prioritization is really looking at, yes, you want to be saving for retirement. Anything you can do while you're young, you want to have some kind of growth happening there. Uh, if you're working for a traditional employer and they offer a 401k plan, get the match, get the free match. So that might be contributing 3% of your salary or 6%. That's an absolute minimum you should be doing just to get that free money from the the organization that you're working for. Uh, If you're in more of a small uh, employee environment and they don't have a traditional 401k or a other kind of retirement savings plan, then put money towards a Roth IRA if you're uh, eligible or put it towards a traditional IRA. Those are all other vehicles to explore to still save for retirement. You just might not be able to do quite as much as you would a 401k. The other piece I would suggest on college savings. And I know we'll probably talk on this a little bit more deeply, but just understanding that you have to take care of your needs first. (laughs) So you have to retire at some point. (laughs) I'm not saying everyone's going to be fully retired um, when, when they pass away, but there's, there's this idea that you don't have to you don't want to be in the position where you have to work until you're in your 80s because you don't have enough savings in any other situation. So you have to be allocating some resources to the emergency fund, to retirement. And then if you have extra cash flow above and beyond that, I would start looking at college savings, specifically 529 plans. Uh, But I don't think that should be at the forefront as much as a lot of parents today are trying to make it because there are other needs that sometimes have to happen um, for their financial livelihood. And, and there's a lot of parents getting put into positions 
you know, later in their 50s or 60s where they're taking out student loans to pay for their children's college. That's another area where it's like you have to learn where to draw the line. I know all of us want to give our kids the world, but we also have to be realistic with how much we can contribute and and knowing that we've got to set that line ourselves. We can't have our kids decide for us. Well, and that leads me to um, the question about retirement. And I know that you feel Mm -hmm. like it isn't a particular age. So what is your thoughts Mm -hmm. on that in regards to, um, are you not thinking, okay, everybody's not not retiring at 65. So what does that look like? Well, there are a lot of people nowadays that are even working really hard in their 20s, 30s, maybe even early 40s to the point where they're earning great salaries. They have a lot of um, financial power, but they're living very leanly so they can save enough to be financially independent at a really young age. So that's a, a lot of people in that movement, uh, or it's called FIRE, Financial oh, that's Independence what it's called? Retire Early. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. And there, so there's quite a few like people in their late thirties, early forties that are these fire <laughs> movement. I'm not a fire blogger or anything like that, but I've been following this trend and you know, it's, it's, it's quite an interesting option for a lot of people who do have a lot of financial power in their early years because they got advanced degrees and they really feel like it's a grind and they want to pursue some of these other passions, but they know these passions are not going to be paying well. So maybe they want to become a school teacher or they just want to be volunteering at their kid's school, whatever it is. Um, I even work with a client that has, he's a partner in a major public accounting firm and I mean, he, he's still very young, but he has set to get a pension through the company because of his partnership tenure and things like that. He's set to get a pension at age 46 wow. and, um, he's going to be doing really well because he's also diligently saved and, and he just wants to spend more time with his kids and, and get to know them better because he's spent all these years working and, and his wife has stayed at home. So they've still had a present parent through all this, but they're, they're making that happen. So I want people to think of retirement, not as age 65, but more as when are you ready to say, Hey, I'm, I'm okay. Hanging up my hat professionally on this. I want to pursue some of these other passions and I mm. want to make sure I have the financial bandwidth to make that happen. And some people reach financial independence early, but decide to continue working on it into their seventies <laughs> because right. they just genuinely enjoy what they're yes, doing. Right. And, um, I, I think that's just as great too. Like I I've seen plenty of people that will retire at 65 and they run out of things to do by 67 and if they go back and do something slope. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Or, right. <laughs> or, or they lose the, they right. They lose yeah, their purpose. They, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So there's a lot of ways to redefine how you think about retirement and how you approach it. I like putting it more in the context of when are you financially independent that you could even think about this. And that age is going to differ depending on how much you have saved, Mm. what your earnings potential is, all of that um, in the present day. But it's, it's, it's an interesting notion to kind of look at both ends of that spectrum. And, you know, there's plenty of people that haven't adequately saved for retirement. So they're forced to work past the age of 65. And uh, it's, that's another sad (laughs) situation because you see people that are like, I'm physically not well enough to be doing this, but I and have they're doing to it. I yeah. No right. Yeah. yeah. That is so sad. Um, yeah, that's good to know. And, and that's interesting about the fire. I didn't even, I've never even heard of that term. And so, um, 
yeah, I could see how people are wanting to do that when they're younger so they could do other stuff or travel and while mm-hmm. they still can, you know, because it sometimes it does get harder when you're older to be doing the things that you might want to be doing that are physical, you know, mm-hmm. adventures exactly. and stuff like that. Um, I wanted to move into charitable giving because I haven't talked about this on any of my other podcast episodes. Um, what is your thoughts with maximizing charitable giving? Because um, I feel like people could be losing out and not even realizing that. So um, kind of share with us your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I would say there's a lot of options to give to charitable organizations that don't just involve cash. So that's a, a big mm. misconception out there that yeah. you always think, okay, well, I just have to write my check and, <laughs> yeah. and that's it. Right. There's a non-financial way of giving to charities. That's volunteering your time in causes that are meaningful to you. It might be sitting on a board. Uh, it might be just sitting across if you're volunteering at a food pantry, helping stock the shelves, things like that. Um, the financial component though, if you do want to benefit charitable organizations, I would say look into, uh, any kind of appreciated stock or mutual fund positions that you might have it in your investment portfolio that are not in retirement accounts. So a taxable brokerage account or a trust account, those types of accounts, there's no tax shelter happening with them. Those, if they, you know, if you bought it 10 years ago for $100 a share and now it's worth $150 a share, if you ever wanted to go and sell that, you'd pay $50 of capital gains or you'd be assessed the $50 of capital gains and then multiply that by your capital gains rate and you're paying tax on that. So mm. instead of taking that position and selling it and then, you know, giving the money to charity or whatever, then you get to say, no, I'm going to give it directly to the charity. I recommend this for larger quantities. So if you're going to be giving a thousand dollars or more to a financial institution and you can figure out on the paperwork side, how to make this happen. Um, I, I encourage, I've, I've facilitated quite a few charitable contributions that way for my mm. own family. Uh, actually drawing on some of the stock that my husband got uh, a couple of years ago through a prior employer that he was investing in a few stock options. And so these were shares that had grown over time. We didn't have to um, sell it and we got that charitable contribution. And then the charity goes and sells it, but they don't pay income tax because they're a nonprofit. Oh yeah. It works really well uh, for both, both ways. The only other thing to be cognizant of in that strategy is just knowing, okay, does the charity actually have something set up to do this? Most charities do, but if it's a really small charity, uh, they might not have that resource available. They might not have a brokerage account set up to facilitate that transfer. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Well, Deb, we're almost at the end of the show. Um, I wanted to circle back to um, saving for kids college. Um, Like you said, people are kind of getting themselves into trouble. And what I think that you're saying is that, you know, here's the thing, right? You can't get a life loan, right? But kids can get student loans. So if you're not really taking care of yourself, and then you've sent your kids to college, who's going to take care of you? Is that what you were kind of referencing to that people are getting themselves into? Yeah an issue. So how about you tell us what your thoughts are with and what you tell your clients in regards to helping them with kids college. I know you said the 529. Um, anything else that stands out to you that you feel like you wish people knew before they started diving in um, mm-hmm. to what, whichever way some people might not be saving for anything or people may be saving too much and then getting themselves into trouble. 
Right. So there are a couple of things there. Uh, number one, I would say just be very cognizant that you have to make sure you're contributing towards your own retirement at an adequate level that you know, I, I typically say if, if you can work it out in your household budget, aim for overall at least 20% of your after-tax income going to savings. And that is a combination of those savings buckets. So that might be your emergency fund contribution. It might be a retirement contribution. It could also include your 529 contribution if, if you want to save for college. The um, piece with any of that is just be very knowledgeable of what you're doing, making sure you're taking care of yourself. But then for those who are saying, yes, I definitely want to save for this expense, I know with certainty that my kids are going to go to college. I don't know if they're going to go to public or private. Open that 529 plan. Start shifting some of your extra dollars at the end of the month into that 529 plan. Some states even offer state income tax credits for it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm in a, in a great state, Missouri, that it doesn't matter where we open the 529. If, we, if right. it's a 529 savings plan, mm -hmm. we can still get the state tax break. So That's I can cool. open a New York 529 plan and still save on my Missouri taxes. Mm. Um, anyway, so that's, but there's only seven states like that. I know Missouri is one of them mm. uh, off the top of my head. I think Arizona, um, I'm forgetting the others, but that's there's a couple like yeah. that. <laughs> um, the other big piece on saving for college is knowing that you don't always have to do a 529 plan. Roth IRAs are really good uh, secondary option if you're not quite sure if your kid's going to go to college and you still want to be able to save for your retirement, but you also want to have the ability to take out of an account down the road if they do choose to go to college. Uh, Roth has a special exception that allows you to take the money out without um, having any penalty if you apply it specifically to those qualified higher ed expenses. So that's another option beyond the 529 plan. Uh, the final thing I'll mention just on a funding perspective, if your child's getting really close to entering college and you're not sure how you're going to be paying all these bills, you know, you get your financial aid award letter and it says, this is what you're on the hook for as a parent and you don't have enough saved for that. I would not recommend taking out parent loans. I would have a conversation with your child and see if there are other options, other schools they could go to where your burden wouldn't be as much that's actually within your reach. Uh, there's a lot of uh, schools out there that you, even if your student isn't like necessarily towards the top of their class, but they are hard workers and they definitely want to get a college degree. A lot of kids save a ton of money by starting off at a community college and then transferring to a four-year university two years into it. So that's one savings option. If you are targeting a four-year public university or private university, looking at the different financial aid award letters and seeing where the most aid is, is coming from. When I say aid, I'm talking about scholarships and financial aid, but you want to be cognizant of the loan amount. You want to have enough so that your child, when they take out that student loan debt, they have a clear path for paying it back. Yeah, that's a good point because I I feel like people could just get lost in that and then just have loans forever, you know? Yeah, and I'm seeing, I mean, a lot of my clients now that are having their first kids, they have massive amounts of student loan debt. It's a huge issue mm -hmm. where they, they're not earning enough to, I mean, I, I understand with physicians or lawyers that might be earning 
200, $300,000 a year after they're out of school, all of the grad school and, and right. you know, supplemental school. I, I get that. <laughs> yep. um, they can probably take 200 or $300,000 out in loans and still be able to pay it off within a reasonable time frame. For people who know they're going to be a teacher and they're taking out a hundred thousand in student right. loans, but their starting salary is thirty, there's a mismatch there. They're they're never going to be able to pay that back in a reasonable time. They're either going to have to do one of the student loan forgiveness programs mm. or look at um, just changing career options again, which gets costly because then you have to train for a new career. So. Always think in terms, if they have a clear idea on what their career path is after the fact, try to make sure they're not taking out more in loans than whatever they're going to be earning that first year post-school. Right. No, those are good things. Yeah, that is very helpful because I do think, I, I mean, I feel like it's such an issue with kids having so much student loans these days. And I feel like it's kind of steering people away from actually going to college. Like they're just mm-hmm. thinking they should be entrepreneurs, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But not everybody's built to be an entrepreneur. So then you're kind of like, well, then what, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> right. I mean, I just, it's, it's hard to think like, how can we keep going like this? I don't know. It seems like there's going to have to be a change at some point. Cause I feel like if you're already seeing it now that people are deciding to not go to school because they just don't want to deal with all that and they would rather just start making money and make less than what you might make if you had a college education because then they don't have to pay back the loans. So I don't know. It does seem a little, um, <laughs> it seems a little messy. So I don't, I have some time before my girls go, but it will be interesting what it will look like by the time they go to college. I agree. Yeah. I, I mean, my oldest is 10 and I have, like, oh gosh, I don't know. Well, yeah. It's still changing eight years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Deb, thank you so much for coming on the show. That was very enlightening. And it always is helpful to just hear, you know, what someone else has to say, especially a mom. And um, I know that you probably have made um, some moms out there think a little bit more about how they're doing things. One thing that stood out to me that I like is that you were talking about the 20% after tax going into the Mm -hmm. buckets and stuff like that. So just giving some guidelines for people, I think helps them to not feel so overwhelmed. So thank you for coming on the show and sharing all of that. Yeah, I really appreciate being here. Thanks again for having me, Amber. Hey, you guys, have you subscribed to the Mom Inspired Show email list yet? If you want to have discounts sent to your email and links to the books we discuss on the show, as well as all the guests' information, then you will want to subscribe. That way, every episode will show up in your inbox every Tuesday, and you won't have to go searching for the newest episode. It will be right at your fingertips. So just go to mominspiredshow.com and scroll down and enter your name and email, and you will be all set. See you next week.